Hello and welcome to episode five of season three of Saltgrass Turning the Goldfields Green. My name is Alison Hanley and today I speak with two Jia Jia Rung men about what they are doing to connect people to country and in doing that help protect it. Harley Douglas is project manager on a project called Walking Together. It is a four-year project looking at two sites. Kalimna Park is here in Castlemaine and Wildflower Drive is a bit further north in Bendigo. They are doing surveys of the flora and fauna in the parks, introducing cultural learning points and also asking for community input about these two parks. We're going to hear about pink-tailed legless lizards and also Eltham copper butterflies. Uncle Rick Nelson, meanwhile, has been taking the next generation out bush to help them connect to culture and country. This episode was recorded and produced on Jara Country, home of the Jaja Rung. Sovereignty was never ceded, no treaties were signed. I pay respects to elders past, present and emerging. Salt of the earth people. Grassroots change. Salt grass. Listen to all episodes of Turning the Goldfields Green on saltgrass.podbean.com. Harley, you are a project manager for something called Walking Together. Can you tell us a bit about that project? So the Walking Together project is a four-year state government commitment out of the 2017 election. Basically, it's looking at how we can connect community with nature, improve biodiversity and visitation rates simultaneously. So the way it'll be doing that is by releasing site-specific management plans. They'll be out by the end of the year. So tell us about the sites that are involved in this. There's one in the Castlemaine Diggings National Heritage Park, which is Kalimna Park, and the other site is Wildflower Drive, which is in the Greater Bendigo National Park. Right, so I'm quite familiar with the Kalimna Park because it's up near the north end of Castlemaine and the golf course is there and I walk my dog around the golf course and through that bushland a little bit quite often. I'm less familiar with the Wildflower Drive site and I believe that's at the far south end of Bendigo, so the Castlemaine side of Bendigo if if people are familiar with this location. So what sort of things have you been doing on, on the sites? What, what have you been trying to achieve there? So the last year and a bit, we've been doing a lot of preliminary background assessments just to understand what values are within the parks. So we've been doing flora and fauna surveying. Uh, that was done with uh, Rakali Ecological Consulting, which is Elaine Bays and Damien Cook. And uh, should shout out Carl Just as well. He also helped us out quite a lot with that. So yeah, we did a, did a lot of uh, background work understanding what we have. Now that we know that, we're engaging the community to speak about what they value and what they expect from a project like this. So we can begin to prioritise the values and the different management actions. So we did a survey, had 172 responses, which I thought was fantastic. It's great that a project like this can get so so much community input. We did that survey and now we're looking at doing some Zoom workshops, so remote facilitation just because of the current COVID situation. Yeah, as we all are, yep. <laughs> yeah. And so what are you looking to get a sense of from the community? What sort of questions are you asking or hoping, what sort of feedback are you hoping for? I'm just hoping that we can uh, understand what they would like to see prioritised. 
So whether that's just, uh, you know, track uh, rationalization, closing some dangerous tracks, uh, weed management, uh, ecological thinning, thinning out the bush a bit to allow the understory to grow a bit better, uh, cultural burning, we'd love to see cultural burning implemented there. Just a lot of different natural resource management actions that I think a lot of the community will definitely get behind. Yeah, the cultural burning is definitely an interesting one. I feel like Australia as a whole is only really just starting to realise that when we do controlled burns, which we do most winters to try and thin the bush so that we don't get these terrible bushfires, it's the way we've been doing it is actually really, really different to what's called cultural burning, which is more the Indigenous knowledge around how to do it. That's what we're looking to do. Delp have actually nominated to burn certain areas of Kalimna and Wildflower Drive within the next couple of years. And what we're looking to do is do cultural burning there in the place of their burning in some sensitive areas particularly. So the sensitive areas at uh, Wildflower Drive are areas where we found the pink-tail worm lizard, which is an uh, endangered legless lizard that lives purely underground in ant galleries. And it's at risk due to habitat fragmentation, roads, land clearing, illegal mountain bike trails and uh, inappropriate fire regimes. What's unique about the Kalimna Park area? I think there's many things unique about the Kalimna Park area, but in particular there is an endangered butterfly there that a lot of the communities would already be aware of, the Eltham Copper Butterfly. Recently over the summer through the Walking Together project and a grant that Elaine Bays received, we undertook habitat mapping for Bessaria spinosa because of the unique symbiotic relationship with the Natonkis ants, the Elfham Copper Butterfly pupae, and the Bessaria spinosa plant. So we mapped the habitat for the Bessaria, and we we also undertook searches for flying adults uh, during the summer months. Because they'd only be present at a certain time of the year, obviously. Butterflies yeah, have a right. very distinct life cycle. So I, I also know that the community came together and there was a Eltham Copper Butterfly at Mini Festival. Was that this summer that that happened? Yeah, it was. Yeah, so what was that, that all about and like, and were you instrumental in that? No, that was organised by the Casamayan Landcare Group. I didn't have anything to do with the planning in that. Yeah, was it a welcome part of your project, though? Like, did it tie, tie in nicely? Oh, absolutely, yeah. It only added value to what we're trying to do, which is preserve these animals and insects. Yeah, great. That's so cool. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about what's involved when you do the survey work? When we were surveying for the pink-tail lizard at Wildflower Drive, we found six pink-tail worm lizards. Uh, the method for surveying for pink-tail worm lizard is rock rolling. So you're rolling rocks that are about 15 to 30 centimetres in diameter because they use the heat to transfer through the rock and they have to use a certain size rock, otherwise the, the heat won't transfer through a larger rock. So we ended up rolling, on average, uh, three and a half thousand rocks to find one pinktail worm lizard. It's really funny too because we did this through through the community. We had some of the Bendigo field nets, the Bendigo TAFE, and different naturalist enthusiasts who who joined us. And we had people drive up from as far as East Melbourne, and that was the day that we didn't find any pinktail worm. Oh no! <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's it was disappointing. Funny. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> And so how many rocks do you think you rolled all together for the project? Um, I, c- I couldn't tell you. So we found six pink-tail worm lizards. We found numbers of skinks. We also found 
two blind snakes, which are similar to the worm lizards in that they live terrestrially underground or evolve to the point where they don't need their eyes anymore. You can still see the eyes, but they've grown scales over them that are just sort of lucid. And how rare are some of these creatures? Are they specific to this region? Yeah, well, the pink-tail worm lizard is uh, extremely rare in all of Victoria. Uh, because of its ha- uh, habit, there's not much known about it. It's listed as endangered in our area. It spans as far north, I think, just below the Blue Mountains. So it has quite a large distribution, but it's not well known, and the populations are very few and far between. And I was interested with both the butterflies and the lizards. They're they're both sort of symbiotic with ants. It seems to me like we all just think of ants as a pain in summer coming into our kitchens and, you know, bothering us. But they're obviously specific ants that these other animals are related to um, and perhaps lesser known. But it's always interesting to me how those things are connected. Yeah, yeah. Once you start digging a little deeper into nature, you realise how interconnected everything is and how everything relies on another thing. And I guess that leads me to, and I don't know how comfortable you're going to feel answering this question, but it leads me to the idea of what's happening with climate change and the threat to our environment in so many parts of the world, but also specifically in these tiny little spots here in central Victoria and how, you know, if the butterflies won't exist, if the ants go away or the other way around, like how catastrophic climate change actually can be as more and more species go extinct. Do you have a sense of what climate change might bring to these environments and what we might have to do to protect some of these things as climate change sort of arrives in force? Yeah, the effects of climate change are already being seen within Kalimna Park. Um, The red stringy bark trees, the eucalyptus trees in there, they're already starting to die because of the change in climate. We've seen a rapid decline in the last 10 years of red stringy bark trees and it's such a problem within Kalimna Park because of arboreal marsupials like fascidales and shoe gliders. They rely on large trees uh, hollowing out, particularly rough bark trees like a stringy bark. They need hollows in them to live in there. So it's quite concerning that a lot of these older stringy barks are, are on the edge of dying. They're right on the verge. And we're not seeing younger trees coming up to take their place. Is that what you're saying? Yeah. I'm not too sure what kind of impact it will have on the butterfly or the ant. Um, If anything, the lizard will probably like a bit warmer temperature for it underground. (laughs) It might like climate change, I'm not sure. (laughs) It might be one of the few that benefit. Yeah, maybe, maybe. Um, Another thing you've mentioned to me before is is not just about the, the natural like biodiversity and things like that, which is, you know, the lizard and the butterflies are all a part of that. But it's also you're trying to showcase some culture. Yeah, absolutely. So that's a really massive and integral part to this project is that we're hoping to connect people with nature through peeling back some of the layers on our culture and showcasing it in a a new and exciting ways. Uh, We're looking at doing sound immersion, uh, nature walks at the moment. So a loop walk around the Kalimna Park Rotunda area that you would have your headphones in and walk along and listen to someone talking and speaking about the areas and the values and telling stories. So I think that's a really great opportunity to modernise the bush. Uh, that's a phrase that I didn't think I'd ever say in my life. Yeah. So bringing technology into the bush is going to connect the younger generation to the bush in a, in a new and exciting way. And the original question was about uh, 
culture and showcasing that. Within Kalimna Park, we've recorded up to 20 Rockwells, over 20 Rockwells. When we originally spoke to local elders like Uncle Rick, uh, we knew the location of only one. So we've recorded so many Rockwells of, in recent memory, and a lot of it is due to the community having a very vigilant eye for culture. And a lot of people have just been emailing or messaging me and saying, oh, we think this is the location of a Rockwell. And nine out of 10 times, they're correct, which is just amazing. Wow. Um, yeah, so these are Rockwells that we haven't known about for 200 years, and now we're getting to reconnect with them. So it's a really, really special feeling. Yeah, so tell us what a Rockwell is. Yeah, that's a great question. (laughs) It's basically the same as a water well, but built into a rock. So they were used primarily in times of drought. And um, a good example of a Rockwell is areas like Mount Kiora and Mount Egbert up near Wedderburn, where um, the granite rocks have been eroded over time and worked at as well. That's a misconception is that these rocks, uh, rock wells are naturally occurring. They're actually worked at by um, the Aboriginal population. And uh, we have uh, caps that we put over the top of the rock wells to preserve the water in there, and we clean them once a year as well. So, yeah, within within one area of Kalimna, we've, we've found three rock wells in a gully all connected there in a straight line, which is a really awesome sight to see. And so how deep would these be and how much sort of water would they be able to hold? The ones within Kalimna, they don't hold all that much water. Um, but if you go to the areas where it's dry a lot of the year, like the Mallee, those ones hold quite a lot of water. And because of the cap, the water wouldn't have evaporated quickly. And so the cap is just a stone or something like that, is that right? Yeah, yeah, that's right. And it just prevents evaporation and, and contamination, I guess. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, <laughs> Who knows what would be drinking the water as well. Yeah. I actually did a series on, on the radio with Uncle Rick a few years ago and we had a guy called Bill Davies come and talk to us about some of these sort of remnants of, of that ancient culture that's sort of, you know, still present on our landscape and, and Rockwells is one of them. And it was really fascinating to think about, you know, because we know central Victoria is really dry, but further inland is even drier and how people manage to stay alive through the hot summers and, and all of that sort of stuff is really interesting. Yeah, absolutely. Mm. But I guess when you know your landscape, you know what to do and, and where to go and which bit of it to go to at certain times of year for for the best sort of living. So you are a Jajarung man. I am, yeah. Jara country or Jajarung land, like the Jajarung people, it's a really big zone. Yeah, so it's actually uh, over 260,000 hectares. That's huge. Yeah. Where did you grow up and, and what's your sort of connection to cult- to the culture? Yes, I grew up in Castlemaine originally. I moved to Bendigo for university about six years ago. My connection to my culture is through my ancestor, Caroline Malcolm. I think you're probably a bit too old to have been a Meeting Place student. You would have been in high school by the time Meeting Place started, wouldn't you? Or even past high school. I was, yeah. So my mum was one of the people who started the Meeting Place, Kerry Douglas. Tell us a little bit about Jan Duck. Yeah, so... Jandak means country in Jara language. Uh, the, we are the Jajarung Enterprises, so we're the, the business arm of the Jajarung Clans Aboriginal Corporation. Um, basically, the way I look at it is that the enterprises do on-ground works and the corporation, they do cultural heritage and 
uh, inquiries and bookings and events and things like that. So the enterprises, yeah, we, we do all the on-ground delivery. How many of these sort of projects do they get involved with in terms of helping monitor flora and fauna and deliver improvements to, to the country? Is there a lot of these sort of projects going around? There is quite a few at the moment. Uh, we have about eight project officers employed, project officers and project managers, all dealing with multiple projects, not just the one. So yeah, we have quite a lot of work on at the moment. So the original role I applied for with Jandak about three years ago was a traineeship where I would work on the NRM works crew and they would send me to TAFE the other days for the week. So I was doing three days a week at Fed Uni in Ballarat, working towards getting my diploma of conservation land management. Within the last year and a half, I've completed that. And I'm looking to go to university uh, within the next few years as well. And what would you do at uni? Environmental sciences. It sounds to me like the the Janduk group have been really nurturing to you and helping you find this path towards a career. Is that something you want to reflect on? Oh, absolutely. Before finding this industry and the Jadarung Clans Aboriginal Corporation in Jandak, I was working at the bacon factory in Kasamane, Don KR. That was my first job out of school when I was 17. I was also uh, going to university at La Trobe doing social work and in that time I dropped out of doing social work and I was left working at the bacon factory and I had a bit of a crisis and didn't want this to be the rest of my life so I put pressure on myself to leave that environment and find new employment and I knew that I wanted to work outside and in the environment and try and do what I can to make where I live a better place. Thankfully, I found Jojo Run and I couldn't be happier with where I am working. Yeah, that's so great. Is there anything else you want to say about the particular sites? And I guess what you're trying to do is see what the community wants from those sites, but what do you see as what would be a great future for these particular sites, Kalimna Park and Wildflower Drive? I think a community that can police and take ownership over these parks would be a great outcome for this project. Because at the end of this project's lifespan, there there won't be that continual funding to keep improving and maintaining and upgrading the park. So it'd be great if we could develop a community that could take ownership and start uh, managing the park in a way that is a bit more intimate than the previous styles of management. So would that look like maybe a land care group or some other kind of formation of, of community group? So within... Casamain, there's already a Friends of Kalimna Park group. It's just about attracting people to that, uh, attracting a new audience uh, rather than people. Um, obviously, uh, the, the Friends of Kalimna Park age uh, is just constantly rising. Uh, there's not really young blood joining, so it'd be great to try and attract a younger generation of people coming through. Within the Bendigo site, there isn't a Friends of Wildflower Drive group, so I think establishing one of those would go a long way with uh, having that community that can start to take ownership and pride over the space. That was Harley Douglas, Project Manager of Walking Together. If you want to get involved or find out more, there are links in the episode description at saltgrass.podbean.org. Now we will hear from Uncle Rick Nelson. 
He and I worked together several years ago to produce a series of short pieces for Main FM called Ja Ja Wurrung Radio. You can listen to all episodes of that series on the Main FM SoundCloud page or at saltgrass.podbean.com. Again, links are in the episode description. Since we made that series, Uncle Rick has been connecting with boys at the high school, taking them out bush and continuing their education about culture and country. Tell me a bit about what you've been doing with some of the boys from the high school. Yeah, um, we've got a, a little group that we call the Young Coolies Group. Coolies is being an Aboriginal word or a Victorian Aboriginal word for man, so it's a young man's group, which is sort of, sort of linked to the Kulin Nation, Kulin or Coolie being a man. Kulin Nation is about five or six Victorian Aboriginal groups, language groups, like it's um, the Melbourne group, the Geelong and Ballarat group, Seymour group, um, Jaja Rung group, us, and they're Wurrung group, they're all Wurrung people, so they're connected. You know, we were rung in Melbourne, um, Tungarung around Seymour, Wadawurrung over in Ballarat, and Jaja Wurrung. So there, there's a, there was a, a loose Confederate sort of group where they intermarried and had similar you know, languages and ceremonies and stuff. So so really there, a, a few of the guys have come from the meeting place and they're in secondary school. So there was nothing going on there. So, so I'll just clarify for the listener that the meeting place um, is primary school aged sort of cultural education for kids with Aboriginal background. But when they get to high school, there's not much for them there. Yeah, when I get to high school, there was nothing really going on there. So it's just like a follow-up follow group as they're going to be older. And, yeah, we take them out the bush and get them doing cultural activities, showing them cultural places, sites and, you know, scar trees and um, things so they can learn a bit more. Um, about you know Aboriginal culture and, and their culture, and we, we've also got a little place out, out at um, Chewton that we go to regularly, and the guys are building little huts out there. And you know we um, we sort of check in. Uh, what, what we do is a check call a check in where we sit around the fire, and you know we just talk to each other, see how each other's doing, you know physically and mentally, and and how their week or, or fortnight's been. Um, yeah, and, and then we you know, pick a couple of activities that we're going to do for the rest of the day. And so we're building old Aboriginal-style bark and stick huts. We've got a little a little block out at Chewton where we go regularly. And, and, yeah. So what year level are these boys in? Are they all across the high school kind of spectrum? Yeah, all across the high school range. Uh, even there's a couple of guys even in year twelve that come along as well. We've got Badak, um, which is a Bendigo District Aboriginal cooperative. That Th- they're involved and they come and join in with us and, and buy us lunch and there's a, a men's shed program up in Bendigo. We we take the boys up there sometimes. Um they were involved in the Billy Cart challenge a couple of years ago. <laughs> yeah, great. Yeah. So they built their own billy cart? Yeah, they built their own billy carts. 
Um, I didn't win, unfortunately. Oh, that's all right. <laughs> Having a go is good enough, I reckon, with that. It's pretty exhilarating. It's steep hill, they go pretty fast in those little carts. Yeah. So, yeah, there's a range of things we do, but we try to keep it in the cultural education side of things. Mm. And what have you seen in terms of the connection between the boys and and the sort of resiliency as a group? Do you do you think it's really helping them? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. You know, some of the boys didn't really know they had an Aboriginal connection, um, you know, and, until later on, and didn't know anything about their culture or that so you know now now you see the difference in some of the boys they're, they're proud to say you know declare their aboriginality you know they, they can tell you local dreaming stories there's a couple of guys that can play the didgeridoo now so you see a, a confidence in the in the boys when you get them out and the you know, environment and do you think that just being in country and learning about how Aboriginal people used to live on the land and stuff has changed how they feel about the environment and about the landscape? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. You know, we've got a couple of our, oh, one boy in particular is doing um, an apprenticeship-based sort of training thing with Parks Victoria now. Yeah, cool. Yeah, so absolutely. A young fellow called Chase Norfolk. Yeah, it's a training placement thing. I think it's for like a year or so. I'm not, but but you know, then there's opportunities to go further, um, and as well. So yeah, you know, it's good to, to see the boys, you know, doing well. Like with you know, seeing a renewed interest in in, in particularly in um, cultural heritage, and you know, hopefully that can go on into careers, in, in, you know, into the future. Yeah, absolutely. We we, don't, we you know take the boys out and um, make didgeridoos like they go out finding their own, cutting their own didgeridoos and stuff. Wow, that's cool. So we really sort of sometimes yeah, we, uh, and building huts and that. So we, yeah, we get our hands hands on, you know, hands dirty, which is you know um, for teenage boys, I, I think it's good to get them out actually out in the bush and out in the field instead of stuck in the classroom five days a week and stuff. Let some of that energy out. Yeah, 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 exactly. Can you talk a little bit about how some of this cult, like Arnie Julie talked about it a few episodes ago, but the cultural learning to understanding country and then care for country and and those sort of ideas. It, it comes with time, you know. It, it's the thing you got to get their head around, and it just comes with the more the more you get them out the bush, the the more they can become connected. You know, and learn about the um, connection with uh, you know Aboriginal people and the way of lifestyle and that and the connection to land and the country and the the, the land being Mother Earth and the all seeing Mother and stuff. You know, some of guys like in year seven and that they sort of they're a bit young yet and more interested in talking about their PlayStation and. Yeah, but but then other guys are different, so it's it's an individual thing. Um, So yeah, some some you can see them grasping it more quickly and more directly than others. You know, 
Well, it's, it's all comes in a, in, a, in a package sort of thing, Ali. You know, like I was just saying, the more you be involved with the guys, like I think it was not last year, the year before, when we opened the state festival and, and we had some of the boys dancing, painted up in, in the ochre and corroboree paint and wearing lap laps and, and doing dance um you know some of the boys wouldn't have done that in the pink fit a few years ago so you know to see them come out and loud and proud with their aboriginality that that's a, a box ticked to begin with you know how does that make you feel you yeah yeah great <laughs> yeah great mate yeah it makes you feel really proud of yourself and, and the guys you know that's brilliant and what other stuff are you doing around town? Yeah, there's not much going on with the COVID stuff and that right now, but we've been working on our second rap song and video um, the last couple of weeks. We, we did one about two months ago now, and it almost went viral. <laughs> there's, there's a few thousand views. So, yeah, um, that one was sort of a bit more focused on the COVID stuff, whereas this one's a bit still on the COVID stuff, but more about, you know, looking out for your family and yourself and looking out for your mob and country and stuff like that. So it's nearly, it's nearly finished, so it'll be out there soon. And who's involved in that? Who have you got in there? Some of the boys too and some of the meeting place kids and some of the boys from the secondary college. Declan, who, who wrote the last one, he, he was on board writing at one again. Declan's from Central Australia, living in Castlemaine now. Badak again, and Badak, the Bendigo Aboriginal um, Cooperative, um, has put some money into that as well because, you know, we've got a film crew um, for this one. So they've put up some money and nailed the run. So, so it's a community combined effort, yeah. Yeah, great. What are you hoping... The video can can do for people when they see it. Hopefully, people will just take notice of the separation thing and yeah, isolation. In this um, song, it talks about I've only seen my own backyard and things like that. So yeah, and you know, it's about the community um, checking in on each other. And, yeah. Making sure everyone's okay. Yeah, it's really important, isn't it? Because people feel very isolated and, and alone and, and people are scared and some people are resentful and they don't want to do it. And uh, Yeah, exactly. So, yeah, saying that we're out there, don't be too scared to reach out and, and you know, look out for your family and mob. So, yeah. It's a, you know, things are a bit quiet with this COVID stuff and lockdown stuff. But, um, but yeah, you know, the, um, we're doing Zoom meetings with the meeting place kids and the secondary school kids. So, yeah, we're keeping in touch. That was Uncle Rick Nelson talking about the activities he is leading with some local high school boys, connecting them to culture and country. If you want to hear more about this, have a listen to the first episode of this season with Auntie Julie McHale. She lays it out for us, how culture is country and country is culture.
The link to that episode and everything else mentioned in the show is in the episode notes of this show at saltgrass.podbean.com. My name is Alison Hanley and I've been your host today. You can follow us on Facebook and Instagram and please subscribe to our email list to get reminders and updates about the show. This program was made possible with support from the Community Broadcasting Foundation. Find out more at cbf.org.au. This program was produced in partnership with the Mount Alexander Sustainability Group, MASG, and Main FM. If you would like to respond to something discussed on the program, we'd love to hear from you. Email us at saltgrasspodcast at gmail.com. Salt, 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 Salt of the earth people. Grassroots change. Salt grass. Listen to all episodes of Turning the Goldfields Green on saltgrass.podbean.com.